personally, if I had to wake up at five in the morning, I'm, I'm a morning person too. If I had to wake up at five in the morning and get on a trainer, I don't know. I'd have some, I'd have some things to think about, um, about how much I actually love this sport. And I love this sport a lot, but that is, that is absolutely brutal. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Sabin, and I'm joined today by Dylan and fellow ignition coach, Tyler Cloutier. Extensive background in racing cyclocross at the elite level, as well as other disciplines. We answer listener questions on morning workouts, bike-specific gym workouts, and how to train for multiple races in one day. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. I just got back from racing inaugural Belgian Waffle Ride event down in Arizona, and thanks to having Flow on board, I was able to perfectly nail my race day nutrition. I had high-carb drink mixes in my bottles, recovery formula waiting for me in the car, and overall I had an outstanding day because I never felt underfueled. So head over to flowformulas.com today and use the discount code IGNITIONPODCAST for 10% off your next order. As always, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends and leave us a five-star review. If you have any questions for the show, send those to info at ignitioncoachcode.com with email titled The Matchbox Podcast, or find us on Instagram and send us a DM. All right, let's get into it. Okay, are we, doing, so the, are we just doing listener questions this week for Matchbox? Yeah. Okay, all right, sweet. Yeah, so this first one comes in, it's about morning training sessions. They say, hey, Ignition crew, I'm a really big fan of the podcast and appreciate the time you all put into it. I'm fairly new to doing more targeted slash periodized training. Most of the time I'm waking up at 5 a.m. and riding the trainer for an hour. I usually get one shorter weekday ride in outside and one two to four ride outside on the weekends. I'm noticing I have a really hard time doing anything above tempo in the morning. My natural cadence drops about 10 RPM and everything feels super hard. I've tested doing intervals in the evening and find it much easier to hit my numbers. Is there any way to prepare for those morning sessions a little bit better so it doesn't feel like such a slog? Thanks. Mm. Is there any way to prepare for those morning sessions? Um, I think I have a video about, not specifically about time of day and performance, but I think there is some video that I made where I talk about time of day and performance because there is research on this. And for most people, the morning, your power output is going to be lower. Um, than if you were to do your workout mid afternoon, which for most people who have jobs is a terrible time to do your workout, but, um, the, and how much your power decreases in the morning is dependent on whether or not you are a morning person or not a morning person. So if you're not a morning person, surprise, surprise, you're going to take an even bigger hit to your, uh, your morning power than say a morning person. So um, as far as what you can do about that though, um, I don't know. You guys have ideas? Yeah. So, so one thing I think it, you know, it, it might come at a little bit of a sacrifice of some sleep, but I think, I think you have to make sure that you're waking up with enough time to, to prepare for those rides. You know, if you're just waking up and hopping straight on the trainer within like 15, 20 minutes, your body's not really getting the chance to like go through its normal wake up routine. So I think that's, I think that could be detrimental. So, you know, giving yourself maybe an hour beforehand, you know, where you wake up, you have some coffee, have some breakfast, let that breakfast sort of digest and then hop on the trainer 
And then like you're kind of already gone through the wake up process. I think I think that could be something to try here because he says he's waking up at five and riding the trainer for an hour. So it sounds like he's not really giving himself that wake up period. Yeah, yeah, I would I would say something kind of similar um, as someone that used to wake up a little bit later and, and do all my training in the morning first thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what you guys suggested is just making sure that you can get to bed early enough so that you get a good solid night's sleep. Um, and just like slowly rolling that clock back, I guess. Um, it is, I remember historically, it always does take, you know, that warm up period to, to really get, um, to really get going. And I was doing most of my rides outside. So I can imagine on the trainer, it, it maybe is a bit more of a slog, but, um, yeah, I think what, what you said, Adam, about, you know, making sure that you get a little bit of, of food and you be that, you know, some rice in the morning or, you know, a little bit of toast or something like a, a snack to at least top you off um, before your workout is probably a, a good way uh, to get going. And, and of course, coffee helps too, if you drink coffee. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, just give yourself that little bit of, of space before you jump on the bike and are expected to be doing, you know, threshold intervals or anything above that. So yeah. The- and I would also give yourself a little bit of grace with the first interval of your set and just mm-hmm. know that that first interval might come at, you know, a little bit lower power and don't push, you know, push your limits there kind of ease your way into the workout. So if you're doing, you know, four by 10 threshold, maybe that first one you're hitting like low threshold or high tempo. And you're kind of just using that as like a, a supplemental uh, warm up to like whatever the five, 10 minute warm up that you're doing beforehand. Um, yeah. And just let that be what it is. You know, don't try and push too hard on that first one. Cause that will compromise your, your subsequent intervals. Yeah, that's good. Um, first of all, I, I have a lot of respect for people that, that, despite having a super busy schedule, somehow they get it done and get the training in. And if that means waking up at five in the morning, cause I personally, if I had to wake up at five in the morning, I I'm, I'm a morning person too. If I had to wake up at five in the morning and get on a trainer, I don't know. I'd have some, I'd have some things to think about, um, about how much I actually love this sport. And I love this sport a lot, but that is, that is absolutely brutal. Um, so mad props for that. I I, I do want to just throw in a little thing about fueling for a morning workout. Um, I do think that if you're doing any sort of intensity, it is important to not go into the workout fasted. And we've talked about fasted training enough on this podcast. Um, to So hopefully you know the reasons why that's important. That being said, you can screw up the timing of your fueling in the morning. So especially since you're coming off a night of not eating, um, your blood glucose is probably going to be low. And then if you eat something that is high in carbohydrates uh, with a high glycemic index, you could spike your blood glucose. And then if you time it inappropriately, you could actually be starting your workout while your blood glucose is dropping. And if you do that, you may actually feel worse. So, you know, for, for people who are diabetic know all about this, but for, for those who don't know, you know, you, you eat something that's high carbohydrate, your blood glucose goes up, it, you know, it hits a peak and then it goes down. Um, and if you, if you were to start your workout during that down period, um, you know, your body is starting to use glucose for energy while the glucose is starting to dip, you could, um, you could feel really crappy when you start your workout. And what does bad timing look like? I would say if you were to start your workout 
45 minutes after you eat something super hard, high carbohydrate after a fast. That would be worst case scenario. And the unfortunate thing about that too is that that's kind of how long it takes you to digest. Uh, and for most people who are doing morning workouts, that's probably the amount of time that it takes them to get from the breakfast table onto their trainer. Um, so it's, it's a little, it's a little unfortunate that that is the case, but just be mindful of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good point. So, so on that, would you recommend adding more time between eating or less time? Like, so, so for example, like let's say, you know, our, uh, listener here, they're trying to optimize their nutrition. So they're starting mm-hmm. their ride at say five o'clock. Would you have mm-hmm. them wake up at three thirty, or oh, would you have God. them wake up at four thirty <laughs> and like, I, I, you know, think, you know what I'm saying? So if they don't mind waking up at three thirty, I, I think at that point you're really sacrificing sleep, and I really would not recommend doing that unless you're going to bed incredibly early. Um, I, I think that what I would probably do is a light breakfast and then hop on the trainer as soon as you can, like a light, very easy to digest breakfast, and maybe while you're on the trainer, start start taking in some gels just so that you're you've got some fuel in the system for that workout. Um, and, and you could also say here, here's, I'm just sort of playing devil's advocate here. You could also say, well, if I don't want to split spike my blood glucose, I could do a low glycemic index breakfast, you know, with more fiber and more protein and more fat. The problem with that is that that breakfast is harder to digest and it's, you're going to feel like it's sitting in your stomach while you're doing the workout. Um, so there's trade-offs here. It might take a little bit of experimentation to be honest with you, to see what works best for you. Because, because to be honest, um, how, how your blood glucose responds to different foods can be individual. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And just a couple tips here to help too. So, uh, one thing that I find that helps is like the, the night before I'll prepare whatever I'm planning on eating, like put it out on the counter, right? So you don't have to think about it in the morning, your cereals there, your bowls there, you know, your milk's in the fridge, your spoon's there, whatever. Um, second thing is like eat as soon as possible when you wake up, assuming you're trying to maximize the amount of time between when you eat and hop on the trainer, you know, don't, don't wake up, you know, go, you know, check the mail or read the newspaper or do whatever you need to do. And then like half an hour later, eat your food. And then, you know, before you know it, you've, you've lost that 30 minutes of time. Try to try to wake up and do the minimal amount of things before you like get that food in your stomach. That way you can maximize the amount of time before getting on the trainer. So now you don't have to wake up three hours mm-hmm. early. You can only, you can wake up an hour and a half early or whatever. Um, yeah. But having some kind of routine and like a plan before you go to bed the night before definitely helps a lot. Yeah. Set your kid out, put, get your tires pumped up or I guess you're on the trainer. So it doesn't happen. Get the bike on the trainer. If it's not already yeah, <laughs> all the workout the, uploaded. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah all yeah. Of these little, all these little hurdles, just the, the fewer, uh, the fewer things that you have to do in the morning before the workout, the more likely the workout's going to happen. Right. Uh, For sure. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, cool. Okay. So the next one, um, bike specific gym workouts. Hey y'all, I'm a big fan of the podcast and I appreciate your taking listening listener questions. I'm curious as to how specific gym workouts should be relative to the bike. For example, should I be using mountain bike bar grip width for push-ups, pull-ups or limiting 
the squat depth to the range of motion during a pedal stroke, etc. Is there any value in modifying gym workouts in this way? Thanks for taking my question. So this is, I mean, there's a lot of debate about this and I don't think there's enough research to actually give concrete answers here. I think a lot of it, you know, there are a lot of people that would say one way or the other and, and maybe be confident about it. But I think if you're super confident in your answer to this question, you're not thinking critically here because there's not enough, there's, there is not enough research on what this guy is asking to give a confident answer. Uh, but I, I, I can say, I can say what I have research I have seen. Um, for, I remember a couple of years ago, the, the Nino Scherter gym workout video really blew up. Like everybody was talking about what Nino Scherter was doing in the gym. And it's because he was doing a lot of crazy things. Like he was juggling and balancing and, you know, I don't know. I, it was, the video had him doing a lot of stuff that I would never even think about doing. Um, and to be honest, I think the video was mostly his core workout. And then for his legs, he just does typical squats. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily see a problem with doing what he's doing. Uh, I don't, I also don't necessarily think it needs to be that complicated. Um, again, this is uh, the, the whole thing is a little bit up for debate. I think that we could get a little more, a little more concrete answers on the squat depth question. Um, and I actually addressed the squat depth question in one of the videos I made about weightlifting. So, the question is, you know, when you're in a pedal stroke, you don't you don't bend your knee nearly as much as when you're doing a, a squat where you're, you know, going as low as you can, uh, right? Ass to grass squats, you know, that's not what you're doing when you're doing a pedal stroke. <laughs> so the argument is that to make squatting more specific to cycling, you should only squat to the depth that you would bend your knee in a pedal stroke to make it more specific. What I will say about that is that there is not research on cyclists, unfortunately, but there is research on general weightlifters that has shown that you make better strength gains if you do deeper squats. Um, not, not as deep as you can possibly go, but you know, 90 degrees or more or past 90 degrees, uh, like a, a standard deep squat made better gains than shallow squats. And where I'm, where I'm going with this is that I don't doing squats is already not super specific to a pedal stroke because the, you're not, you're not going at the same, you know, you're not going at the same tempo of a pedal stroke. And also you're recruiting way more motor units than you are most of the time when you're doing, when you're pedaling your bike, uh, it's already not incredibly specific. Um, and it doesn't need to be specific. There's there's some adaptations that we're trying to get from gym work that you can't quite hone in on with cycling alone. And I would go for maximizing those adaptations as opposed to making your squat as specific to cycling as it possibly can be. So essentially what I'm saying here is don't do shallow squats, do 90 degree or, or past 90 degree squats. Sure. I don't know what you guys think about that. Uh, yeah, I'll jump in. I mean, I think there is some, I think you have those kind of core movements to, to cycling, uh, like specific gym work, right? Like a split squat or something like that. And, and as you said, you're, there are certain adaptations you're looking for with some of those movements. I don't see a problem though, in adding in some 
I'll call it like stability work, right? So doing um, push-ups on a BOSU ball or something that requires a little more balance or perhaps is a little more dynamic um, Mm -hmm. than just a a straight, you know, straight up squat. Uh, Obviously there, there's a time and a place for both of those things, but um, you know, you mentioned Nino Schurter's video, a lot of the, a lot of the juggling and balancing that he was doing was kind of in between during his, I think recovery period is if if I remember that video correctly, just Mm -hmm. something to like focus on um, while he was recovering quote unquote. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, doing some things that require a little more, a little more balance and perhaps help, uh, you know, build up some, some stabilizing muscles. I think that's, that's useful, but you know, there are still those core movements, which are, you know, paramount, I think, uh, and, Mm -hmm. and wouldn't replace them for something that's more cycling specific, uh, necessarily. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, about as specific as it gets for me is like, in my at home gym, I have just like an old mountain bike bar that I'll do push ups on. Like I'll, yeah. I'll use that when I'm doing push ups. And that's about as like specific as I ever get. Um, and that's really just like, I don't even know if exactly what it's achieving other than like, you know, it, it replicates the, the stance width that I would have with, you know, push it, you know, holding the mountain bike bar. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I would say like if you're, if you're doing anything with a barbell, and your grip width isn't relatively close to the grip width that you'd have on a mountain bike bar, then one of those two parts of the equation are off. You know, like they should be pretty, pretty similar. You know, your mountain yeah. bike bar shouldn't be so wide that it doesn't represent the same width that you would have on a barbell and vice versa. You know, you, unless you're doing something very specific where you're doing super wide grip on a barbell. Otherwise, if you're just doing like a standard bench press or overhead press or something like that, then your grip width should be relatively the same as on a mountain bike bar uh i'll just throw in i i i agree with you guys and you know i don't i don't think there's anything wrong with making your gym workout super specific but i also just don't think that there's good evidence that it needs to be which means that there's a lot of room for personal anecdotes and argumentation here um and you know i i don't i don't think we can claim that anyone is is right at this point but uh, I'll throw in, I'll throw in one anecdote from myself is I live, I live right outside of the Pisgah National Forest, which has very long, very rough descents, the kind of descents where you, if you're not used to doing that kind of riding, you can absolutely get really bad arm pump. Um, and you can, you, you know, your whole body can be fatigued after a descent like that. Like you're, you know, you're holding kind of a half squat position. So your quads and your calves and you know, your core and everything can be quite fatigued when you get to the bottom of one of these descents. And in the past, I have done gym work to try to mimic that. Like, I, I remember there was a time where I would do wall sits, um, and I would do wall sits to kind of try to mimic being in a half squat for 10 minutes going down a descent. Um, and I'm not going to say that they didn't help. They, that it's very likely that they could have helped. But I think that the thing that helps with that more than anything else is doing those descents. If I haven't been mountain biking in Pisca for a long time, I'll go out and do a mountain bike ride in Pisca and I'll get to the bottom of a descent and I'll be smoked. If I've been mountain biking in Pisca regularly, even if I haven't been doing gym work, uh, I'm fine. I don't get arm pump. I don't get super fatigued. I get to the bottom of a descent and I'm fine. It's almost like doing the descent itself is the strength training for the descent. Uh, which, which I guess you could make the argument that 
that is the most specific it could possibly be. And it, it seems to work well, at least for me. So, yeah, agreed with that. I mean, Tyler, you could, and we'll just take a two minute tangent here, but you could probably relate to like cyclocross back, you know, like everyone's gotten it where like at the end of the cyclocross race, your back's kind of locked up. Mm. Um, no matter how much time you've been spending in the gym, like if you haven't raced 60 minutes full gas on a cyclocross bike, your first, your first race is probably going to, you're going to be pretty sore, but a couple weeks yeah, later, and, you know, that might start to go away. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tend, if athletes are, and I'm not a, um, PT by any means, but generally I feel like if you're, yeah, if you haven't done any of that low cadence work or, you know, you're not used to, you know, spinning at under 90 RPM for parts of the course or pushing a really big gear across a, a really bumpy surface, then for sure it just takes some, some time to get used to. And so, um, yeah, there, there's some race specific, uh, training that you could add in or, or like, you know, like you said, Dylan, descending in Pisgah is the best way to get comfortable or more adapted to descending in, in Pisgah. Um, so there's yeah. for sure some race specific stuff that you can add in, but yeah, there's some of it that just is a part of the, the growing pains, I guess. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. One more question here. So this one comes from Joel and he wants to talk about his local, uh, XC race series. He says, what's up guys. I love the podcast and look forward to it every week. I've got a question regarding our local XC race series. They have short track and, uh, XCO racing on the same day. I like to do both races and was wondering what is the best way to prepare during the off season for racing two events in one day with just a couple hours to recover between. I can podium the short track, but I'm usually completely drained for the XCO event and get mid pack. Thanks for the help. Mm, interesting. I wonder if it's the same level of competition in both races, in which case it would indicate that this person's got some really good snap, but maybe their endurance is lacking. Uh, or it could just be that the competition level is lower in the short track races. I really don't know. But I, I so are they asking? Yeah, I mean, he says he's completely drained. You know, so let's assume that it's because he's you know doesn't have as much energy. Yeah. At the end what, of the what, what is the question here? Which which is better training or something? No, he he wants to know like how do you prepare to race two events in one day? Like, oh. How would you how would you alter your training or cater your training to prepare for this you know multi day or multi race? single day multi-race in a single day um i mean two days two days would be very specific to that um that's the first thing that comes to mind i don't know what you guys think my first thought is you know trying to increase your you know your volume um Mm -hmm. obviously i mean i guess you know if you don't have time for two days maybe one thing you could do is in a long ride um do some intensity at the start and then ride zone two for the middle section of the ride and then finish with some intensity as well. Just to, yeah, I don't know how, yeah, maybe that would be very specific to, to the event, but for sure, I think the, the bigger your aerobic base is, then, you know, the more I would say depth of fitness you might have. Um, that would be kind of my first, my first place to start. And then, yeah, if, if you need to be more specific then for sure, like two days and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely yeah, agree, so with I agree with that. With the, that. the past, <clears throat> The past few episodes, I think we've talked a lot about how uh, a little bit more volume for the majority of people is uh, is the solution. <laughs> yeah, and, and in this case here, I think I think you could get pretty specific with how you're incorporating that volume. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah. basically with both what combining what Dylan and Tyler were saying here is like, you know, if say one or two of your your midweek training days, you know, do your intervals in the morning and then in the afternoon 
hop on the trainer or the mountain bike and go out for, you know, a one hour, just easy endurance ride, you know, so that's a way to add two hours to your, to your training, but in a way that's pretty specific to, to your racing. I don't know that I would do two intensity sessions in one day. I think that could be counterproductive. Um, but I do like the idea of Tyler, what you were mentioning where, you know, you split the ride into kind of two halves and, th- and this doesn't take away from your Saturday long ride. So, you know, you start, start your ride with, with your intervals and then maybe go out and do an hour or two of just endurance riding. And then what I would do to get a, even more specific is finish your ride if possible with like an hour of single track riding. It doesn't have to be super fast, but you know, you're, that way you're kind of exposing yourself to technical riding and especially on the mountain bike through trails, um, in more of a fatigued, like, uh, you know, low energy state. So the goal would be to like nail your intervals, keep up on your nutrition during the endurance ride. And then hopefully you can sustain your energy enough to where you're fully capable by the time you get to the single track. Um, and that would, that would pretty closely simulate kind of, you know, what you're talking about here again, maybe, maybe the single track, maybe you, you know, at the end, maybe you do throw in a few, uh, efforts too, to where you're able to kind of replicate those race demands. Um, but I don't even know if that, if that's necessary. Um, the, the important thing would be like, can you still hang on the mountain bike trails in a fatigue state? Sure. And and your fueling too. That's something that I would add in is like how, you know, making sure that you're fueling in during and in between those races. Um, I think anybody that's done, you know, two races in one day, be it a time trial and a crit or, uh, you know, uh, two cross races or something like that knows that it's, you're going to crack if you don't fuel in between. Um, and even during, during the event, which if it's short track might be a little difficult, but yeah, for sure. Make sure that you're fueling in between. So you have the gas to, to go the distance in the second race. Yeah. So, so sometimes like I, I've, I've raced, you know, multi, multi race events in one day, many times. Um, and sometimes for me, like if, if the events are spaced close enough apart where it's like, say two cross races spaced by only one race in between, or in this case, like I've, I've done a few like short track in the morning and then like XCO, like 90 minutes later, sometimes I'll just stay on the bike and just ride zone two easy and just hammer fuel the whole time. Um, that way I'm not like stopping, cooling down, worrying about what I'm going to eat off the bike. You know, I can just kind of stay in my riding routine and you know, fuel on the bike and then kind of roll that straight into the next race. Yeah, I agree with that. If the, if the time between these two races is not that great, uh, I would almost recommend just staying on the bike and exactly what you're saying. Um, I almost think that cooling down and then having to warm back up again would probably be a detriment to your performance. It depends on how fit you are, but, um, sure. I would say that for most highly trained athletes that that would almost be more detrimental to cool down and then warm back up again. Yep. Yeah. Sweet. Anything else to add, Tyler? No. Um, I, it's funny. I just was reminded of a, a time when I did a, our state championships, um, and then decided to do the UCI race, uh, cyclocross race in the afternoon and totally bonked with like two laps to go and just, uh, yeah, definitely have did not do any of the stuff that we, uh, mm-hmm. have been talking about <laughs> and totally cracked. So, yeah. um, yeah, for sure. The, the fueling part, I think was the missing part for me, but probably also the depth of fitness as well. So I, I haven't done a lot of 
two races in one day i could i probably have on i could probably count the number of times on one hand that i've done two races in one day um but i i have done two a days before and i have bonked on the second ride of the day even when i thought i fueled correctly um so yeah yeah because it's easy like if that morning session it's easy to get behind on nutrition because you're like oh it's only a 90 minute ride you know i only need Mm -hmm. 60 or 80 grams of carbs to get through this ride but what you really need to keep in mind is like preparing for that the next ride, looking at the whole day holistically. So like even mm-hmm. your short track race here, bring a bottle with some carbs. Like you might not need it during the race, but even just, you know, 20 grams of carbs, like gets that recovery process going and, and gets that, you know, fueling uh, kind of kickstarted. And then also you've got it on hand for as soon as you finish the race, like start start fueling again. You know, a lot of times you'll finish the race and you're just standing around for half an hour. And before you know it, from the time the race start to the finish, it's like over an hour and you haven't gotten any fuel in. And then, you know, you're, you're starting way behind the ball uh, at that, in that case. Yeah, sweet. All right. Cool, guys. Sub 30. Man, we knocked that out. It's a new record. Efficient. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, we will catch Drew's you guys next week. not here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It uh, definitely helps. Yeah. We miss you, though, Drew. All right. Hope you feel All better. All right. Let's make it sub 30. We got 10 seconds. All right. Cut it off. See you guys. <laughs> Cut it off. See ya. See ya. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email titled the Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch y'all soon. Let's go! never driven a rally car before, but I'd imagine there are a lot of similarities between racing rally cars and racing bikes. Both involve speed, skill, and suspense. But one big difference is the navigator. The navigator's job is to communicate with the driver what turns are coming up, 
the severity of those turns, and any obstacles to look out for on course. With the help of the navigator, the driver goes faster. As athletes, we too need a navigator. This is where the coach comes into the picture. Like the navigator, the coach helps guide the athlete along the right path. When it's all said and done, the coach helps the athlete go faster. To take the analogy one step further, I'd bet the best navigators are those who used to drive themselves. Because of their own experience behind the wheel, they're better equipped to help the driver. This is what Ignition Coach Co. is all about. All of our coaches are elite level racers, and that makes them better coaches. They know how to train, how to prep, how to win, how to lose, and how to stay focused through it all because they are in the midst of that pursuit right now. Here at Ignition Coach Co., we believe that coaching and racing go hand in hand, and it's our goal to fuse those two things together. We'd love to connect you with one of our coaches. Sign up for a free consultation today. Ignition Coach Co., developing coaches, connecting athletes.